introduction. So, uh, hello everyone. It's been a it's a pleasure being here. I want to thank uh, ISB and and everybody at, at the SIG for for having me over. So let me uh, uh, let me just start off on a, on a note. We were initially planning to call this event uh, "Data is the New Oil," but uh, looking at oil prices right now, I'm, I'm glad that we didn't call it that. You know, fun times, exciting times, crazy times. So. Uh, my journey in uh, digital marketing started um, in about 2008. So prior to that, I graduated from Osmania University here in Hyderabad, went to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and was involved uh, in starting up two technology uh, services companies. So we're, we were one of the early uh, uh, companies to start doing offshore product development work. This was in the late 1990s, early 2000s when most of uh, the technology work that was coming to India was uh, on pretty low-end services, right? So com uh, companies were doing a lot of uh, Y2K work, a lot of legacy mainframe migration uh, type of work. And we, we uh, basically took that model and extended it to, uh, to um, offshore product delivery as well. And then, uh, you know, uh, uh, built some interesting companies, built great products, really uh, sophisticated products, and then saw the, the Google uh, IPO happen. So up until that point, didn't understand how a free service could, uh, could be valued so much. And then when, once the, the Google uh, IPO happened, you know, their, um, their uh, prospectors talked about their business model, et cetera, and became really intrigued with this, with this field and started my journey in digital media, moved back to India, uh, set up uh, uh, this company and uh, have have uh, and it's been a fantastic ride. So we've uh, the company is, has been through a lot. So we've been through uh, a rapid growth. We've been through uh, an IPO. We've been through uh, an acquisition. We've been through a bankruptcy, and again another acquisition. So finally here we are acquired by by Amazon. So it's it's been a, a fantastic uh, ride. Vivek, over to okay. you. We're really glad that you can make the time to have this conversation with us. Um, and guys, we have a lot of ground to cover today, so we'll dive right into it. Um, so, Raghu, I think what might help is we have uh, people from various uh, backgrounds in this call with various experiences. So, it might just help uh, the audience get grounded in your view of what technology in the marketing space would be, right? So, would you be able to just give us a perspective on how you look at the space? Sure. So um, let me let me start off by giving an overview of the digital media ecosystem, right? So digital media uh, started in about 1994 with a simple banner ad on uh, the hotwired.com website, right? So it was a, a banner ad for AOL, and in those days it got a CTR of almost 44%. Uh, so a CTR basically means that. 44% uh, of the people that, that saw that banner ad actually clicked on it, right? So there was a lot of interest in that field. And from, there, from there, today, we've grown to become about a $300 billion industry globally, right? So some uh, uh, companies in this space are, are really well-known. So obviously, Google, you have Facebook, you have Pinterest, you have LinkedIn. So this industry has gone on to create multiple, uh, uh, about some of the biggest companies in the, in the world. Today, digital media is roughly about 50% of the, 
of all media spends, right? So that includes television, that includes print media, that includes outdoor media, et cetera. So we've really found uh, uh, our bearings over the last uh, uh, 20, uh, 20 odd years. So rapid, rapid growth. Uh, the ecosystem uh, is, uh, is, is dominated by uh, so about 60% of the spends of, of the $300 billion that are spent uh, on digital media are spent by the large brands, right? So brands that all of us know, the Unilever, the, the Unilevers of the world, the PNGs of the world, the Nikes of the world. So, uh, so, uh, so companies that that uh, are, are today highly recognizable and have a tremendous amount of uh, brand recall. So, uh, so what is the digital media uh, uh, economy about, right? So it's primarily about attention. So uh, consumers uh, uh, are drawn to publishers that, that are appealing to them, that, that, that have some kind of an appeal to them, right? So whether it's Google from a search perspective, whether it's Facebook from a social perspective. And so these, uh, these um, platforms have gone on to create really large audiences and, and they're able to harvest their users' attention. Mean, by, by that, I mean that uh, users spend more and more time there that actually give a lot of information about themselves. So they're sh sharing a lot of data about uh, who they are, what their interests are, what their plans are. They're planning vacations online. They're, plan they're talking to their friends online. They're posting pictures of themselves. So these big platforms have really gone on to, to, uh, to harvest user attention at scale, right? So what, what, what does that, uh, that mean? So that means that, they, uh, that ad when advertisers want to uh, position themselves in front of users, they become great platforms for that, right? So historically, the big platforms have been TV, print, uh, radio, et cetera. But with the advent of digital, digital has, has completely um, overtaken uh, these uh, legacy media in many markets. And at some point, it'll happen in India as well. In, and in India, currently, we're the second largest medium after, uh, after TV, right? So, so what does this ecosystem look like? So you have, like I said, the consumers on one end and you have the uh, advertisers on the other end. So the advertisers are the ones who are spending money and they usually spend this money through uh, what are called media agencies. So uh, you've probably heard uh, a, a lot of these names that are actually fairly well-known names. So you have uh, about five, what are called large holding groups. So these are uh, the WPPs of the world. Uh, the publicists of the world, the Havases of the world. In the Indian context, you have uh, Madison. So, so a lot of the, the spends are actually con uh, uh, consolidated through through these uh, agencies, right? And who are the big uh, media owners? The, me the big media owners in the social media space. You have Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, etc. And uh, then you have digital publishers, right? So the TimesofIndia.com, DeccanChronicle.com, MoneyControl.com. And all the, you know, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, you name it, all these guys come under the digital publishers. Uh, now, a big emerging trend is the OTT platforms. So you have uh, Hotstar, which is probably the, the biggest OTT platform in India today, uh, thanks primarily to the, uh, because of the IPL. You have Amazon Prime, you have Netflix, you have um, uh, Z5, et cetera. Uh, uh, so are you guys able to hear me okay? Yes, sir. Okay. okay, great. So, so those are the OTT platforms. And then uh, on the search side, which search is probably one of the, the largest um, 
segments in the in the digital economy. You have Google and and, and increasingly uh, Amazon as well, right? So Amazon uh, has become the largest search engine from a product search perspective. So chances are that if you're looking for a specific product, the first thing you do is go to Amazon.in or Amazon.com and not necessarily Google. So Amazon is built uh, over the last three years, has built a $10 billion business on the back of, uh, of, uh, of its uh, search capabilities. So a very, very dynamic um, uh, industry. So the, there's a lot changing. There are a lot of new entrants who who come into this this business every day. So I'm sure you guys uh, follow what's happening with TikTok. There's uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, uh, other um, uh, pro uh, platforms emerging as well. Share it, Share Chat, Snapchat, and a whole bunch of other uh, other platforms too. So that so that is kind of wanted wanted to give everybody a, a really um, a high level view of, uh, of what this industry is about. And, and why we exist. So the primary reason we exist is for uh, um, advertisers to be able to share information about their products and communicate about their products to uh, a large audience, right? So that's what we are in the business of. Right. Uh, I mean, of course, it just comes across as a very large, complex uh, space, and I'm sure it's, it's a maze for organizations to navigate could you help us ground, ground us and give us an example how companies are, are dealing with this space and where do they specifically use technology to meet their end goals? Sure, sure. Uh, great question, Vivek. So uh, like you rightly said, this is a, a very large and very complex space. So there's a, a chart that I shared uh, with, with, the, with the team earlier, and I think that's going to be shared with the rest of the audience. So there are about 7,000 companies uh, playing in the space. And, and, and from, a, from this, you know, it, it, uh, it, I'm not including the, the media owners. I'm actually just talking about the technology uh, point solutions right, that exist. So there are about 7,000 companies in the space. Very, very complex space. A lot of, uh, um, you know, a lot of innovation happening. You know, there's uh, every day there are new companies starting, old companies going bust. So it's it's a highly exciting uh, space uh, to be in. So one of the things that drives this innovation and and this uh, and uh, the use of technology uh, in this business uh, is again uh, uh, the, uh, consumer attention is is highly fragmented. Right. So today, out of the three hundred billion dollars in in ad spend that's happening worldwide worldwide on digital, a bulk of that, close to 60, 70 percent of that, goes to Google and Facebook, right, and increasingly Amazon as well. So, but if you look at a, a, a consumer attention uh, a standpoint, uh, consumers' attention is uh, uh, is not just on these big platforms, right? So the big platforms. Users probably spend an average user probably spends about 30% of his or her time on these big platforms, whether it's Google, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, etc. And they spend about 70% of their time uh, doing other things. So they're uh, they're spending time on on car valet, trying to do research on the next car they want to buy. They're spending time on um, uh, book my show, trying to book uh, the next movie ticket. They're spending time on um, uh, magic bricks trying to you know, research uh, where they invest their uh, where they buy uh, their home right so um, but the challenge from an advertiser standpoint is that um, all these publishers 
uh, are not very sophisticated, and, I mean, and these are just some of them might be, some of them might not be, but uh, the, the, they're not very sophisticated from a, from a technology standpoint. And two, the size of their audiences uh, in, in, uh, internet, uh, in the internet world can be fairly small, right? So Google and Facebook, for example, in India talk about reaching uh, you know, 500, 400, 500 uh, million uh, users just in India, right? And uh, as an advertiser, uh, once you have that kind of a scale and once you have that kind of data, and what these platforms have done is they've made it very, very simple for uh, an average um, uh, advertisers to come and, and, and set up and, and run campaigns. So it's very easy to, to, to create uh, an ad, upload an ad, run the ad, measure the ad to see how well, well things are performing, right? So that capability does not exist with the smaller uh, publishers. So that opened up a huge opportunity in the digital media world, and it created a space called programmatic advertising, right? So pro programmatic advertising has been one of the biggest trends in digital media over the last five, six, seven years. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about what a programmatic uh, advertising is, right? So, uh, um, so if you look at uh, the way media, digital media was bought prior to the emergence of, uh, of um, programmatic advertising, it was, it was very manual. So if you were an advertiser and you wanted to buy an ad on, uh, on Times of India, for example, the way you would do that is you would actually physically pick up a phone or send an email to a salesperson at Times of India and negotiate rates with them, negotiate uh, uh, campaign dates with them, et cetera. And then, uh, uh, so, and then there's a lot of other steps in between. There's billing steps. There's uh, there's other finance-related steps that happen before a campaign can be taken live, right? So the uh, and this. So if you wanted to run a, a campaign across 40, 50 publishers, this this process was was uh, uh, a, a big hassle and was prone to error as well, right? So with programmatic advertising uh, coming on board, uh, this entire process has been automated. So what has essentially happened is that uh, we've, uh, we've followed the, the paradigm set by uh, uh, the, the stock markets, right? So stock markets have uh, a centralized stock exchange where, uh, where uh, people can come and buy and sell uh, uh, stocks, right? So there's a very similar paradigm that was started in the internet world as well. So you have uh, 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 what is called a, cent a centralized clearinghouse for ads, which is called an ad exchange. And then there are a whole bunch of solutions around ad exchanges. Uh, there's a, a solution which is very similar to a terminal that a stockbroker would use called um, a DSP, a demand side platform. And so there, there are other solutions as well. So uh, in, in, in what we are seeing now is, is a tremendous growth in the programmatic ad uh, ecosystem. And a lot of that growth is actually driven by uh, uh, um, the real-time availability of, of data and understanding consumer behavior, understanding their past interests, their uh, past browsing history, and bringing in offline data as well, uh, the CRM data, et cetera, to really understand uh, uh, what the consumer interests are. Hello. 
विवेक so guys i i guess there's we're having a little yeah we're having sorry we're having sorry, a little bit so this is hima coming in i uh, think uh, we just lost vivek uh, through the audio thing but uh, good uh, is, so we are talking about this ad exchange which uh, you all have uh, worked on yeah uh, vivek would you like to go on to the next question so uh, so i think we're unable to get in uh, the next uh, thing on this is uh, ragu uh, what is the volume of uh, the thing that is done on this particular ad exchange and so uh, uh, let's say you know who on the stock side and the other side are customers what are the numbers here sure so uh, so hima so uh, today um, uh, it, the indian a uh, digital ad ecosystem is about uh, uh, a 2 2.5 billion dollar market so that's close to now with the, with the dollar exchange rate it's, so it's almost close to 18000 uh, crores right so uh, out of the 18000 crores roughly about uh, 30% of uh, the media uh, of media that's bought and sold in india happens through uh, programmatic channels right so it's either through our technology or it's through, through a technology that google has and it's either um, and there are a whole bunch of other young companies that that have this technology as well and uh, some of the biggest uh, biggest uh, spenders uh, on these platforms are again like i said the, the usual suspects these are the really large uh, large brands who have the the capacity to engage with um, the big agencies so these agencies uh, Uh, have their own capabilities to run uh, what are called trading desks, so that they can uh, efficiently buy and sell media, buy media for for their customers. So uh, we work with everybody from uh, the likes of uh, Samsung, the likes of Procter and Gamble, um, uh, airline customers. So uh, so uh, customers across the board. So it's it's a fairly large uh, industry. Are growing quite rapidly, and um, and uh, and uh, there's a lot of innovation happening here as well. Yeah, and uh, how do you see this industry panning out? A couple of points on in the next decade. You know, what do you think it's going to morph itself into? So. Um, uh... So that's uh, that's a it's a, it's it's a great question. So um, you know, there's um, one of the biggest drivers over the next a uh, uh, few years, especially uh, in in the more and, and not just not just in the Western markets, but in uh, in the markets like uh, India as well, is that uh, uh, privacy is going to be one of the biggest uh, drivers, right? So there's a lot of emphasis around. Uh, Uh, around protecting uh, consumer privacy uh, just to give you an example about a, about um, uh, a few years ago if i get 3 uh, 4 years ago there was this uh, this uh, this uh, instance where a, a young lady and a young unmarried lady but 16 years old uh, went to google and was searching uh, was trying to do some research around uh, uh, pregnancy was taken to a, a website where uh, where she was reading up about this and uh, uh, lo and behold a few days later uh, uh, this this happened in in america and it happened in 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 a family where the computer was a, a shared uh, resource 
uh, a few days later, she was getting um, advertising for pregnancy test kits on Facebook, right? From one of the largest uh, uh, retailers uh, in, 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 in the US. And uh, this is how the, the entire family found out that this young girl was, was pregnant. It obviously became a huge issue for that family. And that family also escalated this and it became, uh, it got very wide uh, press coverage. Uh, there was outrage, right? So why is something, why is information that is private to, an, to a consumer and something that they're doing in the privacy of their home, how is this information, how did this information get shared? Right. So how did, uh, how did this, 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 this big retailer, how did they get access to this information and how was that ad uh, uh, available on, on Facebook? So that really started uh, this, this whole chain of events where, um, where the governments started actively participating. So I'm sure when you, uh, when you browse the internet as well, a lot of times you feel that, uh, that, uh, certain ads are following you around. So no matter where you go, uh, you see the, uh, uh, an ad following you around. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, uh, concern around this, a lot of concern around, you know, sometimes uh, you feel that you've spoken to a friend and, no. and uh, you know, a couple of, a day later, or a couple of hours later, uh, you see ads related to a, a private conversation, right? Or you, you're sharing. I think we all understand that very much when I get a pinging saying, you know, that, uh, HDSC will pay your telephone bill. Please just press on this. So I'm wondering, you know, I don't know when my telephone bill has come. This has happened. Going on to the next question. Guys, just um, there... uh, checking if you can hear me. I've uh, tried joining Vic, back. Your comment? Yeah, please get on to the next question on B2B, please. <laughs> I am really sorry for the inconvenience technology, right? But anyway, uh, so Raghu, when you were speaking, one of the things that, uh, that came across is it, it obviously is a large segment and comes across that there are a lot of point solutions plus plus established solutions, right, to help cater to the marketer's need. But uh, is there is there any difference if I look at it from a B2B side versus a B2C side? These are questions that came in from an audience as well when uh, they're registered. So any thoughts on that, Raghu? Sure. It's a great question, uh, Vivek. Right. So uh, fundamentally, uh, you know, uh, the 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 um, B2B marketing and, and B2C marketing uh, um, are, are, are very similar in, in, in many ways. It's just that, uh, and also the, 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 the technology stack can also be very similar, right? So one big difference I see is uh, the, the choice of uh, uh, publishers. For example, uh, a B2C brand might run more on, on, uh, on a Facebook uh, and, and, uh, and uh, a Pinterest or YouTube versus a, a B2B brand. So, um, uh, so uh, what, what we've seen is that one of the primary differences is, is that um, B2B uh, B2B brands tend to have very different sales cycles, right? So, you know, usually much longer. So let's say you're in the business of, of, uh, of selling a, a technology service. Uh, uh, the, the sales cycles are, are not necessarily as short as if somebody's uh, in the market selling uh, a, a, a mobile uh, cover, right? So, uh, or, or even a mobile handset. There, the decision makers is probably just, just one person, B2B, there are multiple stakeholders. 
uh, where you reach your B2P audience could also be very different. So uh, B2B audiences, um, you find them online, like I said earlier, on LinkedIn and, and platforms like us, like uh, LinkedIn. They're also, you tend to find them on, uh, on highly specialized uh, industry websites and industry uh, chat rooms, right? Uh, you also uh, access B2B uh, consumers through a lot of offline uh, outreach events, whether it's through email, whether it's through trade shows where you try and, and collect uh, this information and get them onto a CRM and, and start conversations uh, with them. So, uh, so, uh, uh, so the fundamental difference in my mind between uh, uh, B2B and B2C segment is um, is definitely the sales cycle and where these audiences are. But once you've identified these audiences, uh, the other difference that comes in is uh, is how a communication happens, right? So a lot of times, once you out to a, a B2B audience, very quickly, the communication tends to move to either uh, phone calls, uh, in-person meetings, um, email, et cetera. Whereas in, in, uh, the, in, in the case of digital, a lot of the communication still continues on uh, digital channels and, and uh, uh, finally either on the sale is consumed either on an e-commerce uh, website or uh, a physical retail, uh, uh, right? So, uh, so, um, so fundamentally the answer is the technology stack can be very similar, but the way you, you use this technology is, is where the big difference is, is, uh, uh, is between uh, the B2B and, and uh, B2C world. Understood, Rahul. So Rahul, we spent uh, the first 20 minutes just talking about the space or where it is now. Um, now, coming back to the main topic of this conversation, right? Uh, what's next from an evolution standpoint? I, I know sometimes it's a bit like a crystal ball gazing exercise, but if you had to bet on the stuff uh, over the next three to five years, where would you put your money in terms of where technology is going to take market? Sure. And a great question. And I think it's an extension to the answer I was giving to, giving to Hima earlier. She asked the same question. So, uh, and, and, and uh, again, uh, uh, I think uh, there's going to be a lot of emphasis on, on privacy, right? So uh, just to build on top of the, uh, the example I gave earlier, based on what's happened, and there's, very, there's lots of similar uh, uh, examples to what I described earlier, governments have really gotten involved uh, in, in, in advocating for, for better privacy regulation, right? So uh, right now the system is is essentially the wild west. So you have uh, uh, data uh, data coming in from online channels. You have data coming coming in from offline channels, right? So a lot of times, uh, let's say you're you're going and and uh, buying uh, a piece of hardware at at Chroma. So Chroma is is and I don't know if Chroma does this in in India, but in in America, for example, a lot of the big uh, uh, retailers what they do is they're actually selling their data, right? So they have, they know who you are. They know your credit card information. They know uh, a lot of other, they know your potentially your address as well. They know uh, if, if you're a part of their loyalty program, they know what you've bought in the past, right? So businesses are selling um, uh, their data about customers to uh, data intermediaries, right? So uh, companies like Axiom, uh, et cetera, who uh, who basically take this data and they 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 you know a lot of times they clean up uh, the personally identifiable information, and they're selling research and insights to the to the market, right? And sometimes uh, 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 these are more of the white hat cases. There are a lot of black hat cases where people come in 
and uh, really um, get access to your, so when you hear about uh, the, the data breach that happened at the Marriott Hotel in the US a, a few years ago, right? So everybody who stayed at the Marriott Hotel for I think in, in 2018, 2019, their credit card information was stolen, a lot of other information about them was stolen. So what is happening is that, you know, and a lot of times, you know, uh, uh, customers also didn't have the right infrastructure to protect this data, right? So what was happening was that uh, uh, companies became very lax about one, protecting their own data, and two, uh, 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 sourcing data. So they, 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 they ended up buying data from, from questionable sources. And uh, there's new regulation that's going to make that more and more difficult uh, uh, to do, right? The first of this regulation is uh, something called GDPR. So GDPR has come out of the, the European uh, Union and they they are by far the most uh, well-known regulation in the space and um, one of the things that they've done is that uh, they've put the onus on uh, uh, the big uh, the big platforms the big company the, or the online companies and any any organization uh, to protect their data right so they're very severe, they have very strong guidelines in terms of uh, what kind of data can be stored, how long this data can be stored for, uh, uh, why the data uh, is stored in the first place, and the ability for users to come in and erase that data. Right? So they have very, very, very strong uh, guidelines there. Uh, and they also have uh, steep penalties for, uh, for companies that don't uh, follow these, um, uh, these guidelines, right? So uh, I believe it can uh, be about 4% of your global revenue. So let's say you're, you're, uh, uh, you're Google and it's found that you, know, you, you didn't act in the best interest of your customer and for some reason uh, you didn't manage your customer's data well. Uh, and this, uh, this happened uh, and this case happens in, in, uh, in, um, in Croatia, right? So Croatia is probably a tiny market for, uh, for Google. But if that case is won uh, by the GDPR uh, authorities, they can charge you about 4% of Google's global revenues, which is, which is close to about uh, $150 billion, right? Or $120 billion. So, uh, so, th so that has really shaken up uh, this, this industry and we're seeing more and more regulation happening on the privacy front. Uh, the second big uh, 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 regulation that's happening on privacy is uh, out of uh, California in the U.S. So California has taken a, a very similar stance. They're saying that uh, it's, uh, the onus is on companies to, to, uh, to protect consumer data. And again, they have very steep fines for, uh, for companies that don't comply. So, and, and first of all, you need to make it very clear why you're collecting that data in the first place, right? So a lot of that is happening in, in uh, Europe and the US. India has, has uh, is, or is I'm not sure if it's actually passed the bill yet, but there's a bill called the Data Privacy Bill. Uh, our country has taken a slightly different uh, stance on this. So uh, uh, the, uh, the stance that we're taking is that uh, 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 all the data has to be housed uh, in, in, so not all the data, but a certain category of data has to be housed in India. So there has, the data has to be available in India. And a lot of our thought process is not necessarily around privacy, but it's more around um, uh, accessibility of data to the government, right? So if, if the government wants to understand how you're using uh, 
you know, if they want to say okay, they're suspicious about your behavior, they can go to Google or Facebook and say, hey, share with me all the past um, uh, emails from, uh, from uh, Raghu's Gmail account. Uh, you know what sites has he been browsing on? Blah blah blah. So the so our our government has taken this more from uh, uh, um, what do you call it? More from um, I think a law enforcement uh, perspective, whereas other countries oh. have taken it from a true uh, to privacy uh, perspective. Beyond uh, privacy, any thoughts on uh, the space of voice? Now I see quite a few questions coming in. Uh, with respect to voice, I think Shubham uh, Goel has just asked with the emergence of voice, right? How do you see uh, digital advertisers uh, responding to this? Yeah, the vo voice is uh, voice is definitely uh, a hot emerging uh, space. So uh, all the big platforms again have uh, invested very aggressively uh, in this. Alexa, uh, Amazon's Alexa is is case in point. Uh, uh, Amazon Alexa. Uh, in, in the in the market like the US, there are about a hundred million households that have Alexa already, right? So there, uh, so a lot of uh, uh, their engagement is moving to to voice. Um, in India, I think it's probably dominated by by Google. So Google Voice is is uh, uh, is uh, growing very aggressively in India, especially given um, the low literacy rates and. Uh, the low inclination for Indian audiences to actually type and 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 write, so we're much more comfortable with uh, with voice. So uh, Google is investing very heavily in voice, and and uh, obviously uh, Apple, uh, Siri as well. So voice is 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 going to be uh, a big. So a lot of uh, uh, it's and it's 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 going it's only going to get uh, uh, get bigger. So uh, um, it's also going to change uh, uh, the way uh, maybe change uh, the, the uh, uh, organization's business models as well so for somebody like a, a google or, or alexa uh, uh, at least in markets like india more and more of their revenues are going to co start coming from uh, from search right um, another thing again that we hear a lot about ragu is just augmented reality and virtual reality how is that as a space Sure. So, um, uh, uh, I think you know, uh, um, uh, voice is is here right now today. Uh, AR, VR are, are a few years away, right? So uh, nobody knows exactly when that's going to happen. There is uh, a lot of interest in AR, VR. Facebook has acquired uh, Oculus. Microsoft has a Hololens. Um, Amazon uh, has launched something called Echo Frames, which is basically uh, eyeglasses with uh, Alexa uh, built in. Uh, Snapchat is probably the most successful, uh, especially from an AR front with their uh, with their spectacles. Uh, Apple has the ARKit for iOS. Uh, Amazon is investing in uh, something called Prime VR. Right, so a lot of uh, investments, a lot of activity happening uh, uh, in in uh, in um, uh, AR and VR. Uh, the industry is uh, growing from a very small base, but growing very very aggressively. So uh, you hear about 200, 300 percent growth, and um, I think thanks to the coronavirus and COVID, everybody understands how exponential growth works. Right, so it might be very small today. So we might be talking about uh, uh, tens of millions uh, of users uh, today around the world, right? So, but very soon, uh, especially 
if companies are able to uh, solve uh, the issue for, for form factor, right? Today, um, uh, AR, VR headsets are very cumbersome. You know, if I, if I was walking around my house uh, uh, wearing an AR, VR headset, my wife would probably leave me and I wouldn't get a girlfriend again, right? So, <laughs> so these things are not the sexiest to, 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 uh, to interact with. The form factors are, are, are really bad. So I think the, the first issue in AR, VR is to get the form factor right, right? And I think uh, just knowing technology, there's a lot of innovation that's happening by the big boys. And it's only a matter of time to get uh, uh, um, the technology right, the form factor right. But nobody knows whether it's two years, three years, five years away. The second uh, missing piece is uh, creating um, uh, AR and VR content. Uh, so right now, a lot uh, to create VR uh, content, you need highly specialized equipment, which is still very, very, very expensive. So if you if and if you look back at history and what it's teaching us, there's no. YouTube wouldn't have happened uh, uh, if you know um, cameras, if your mobile phone didn't have the ability to create uh, or capture decent quality video. And uh, Facebook and Instagram wouldn't have happened if uh, your handset uh, uh, couldn't have taken good quality pictures, right? So the moment uh, the moment somebody solves that problem, where you know, either through your handset or some other really low cost device, you can create uh, really uh, not even really good quality, but decent quality uh, uh, VR and uh, and AR and and find some good use cases around it. Um, until that point, this industry is going to remain uh, nascent. But once that does happen, I uh, not just looking at at past examples and uh, how you know, how quickly uh, uh, audiences start engaging on these platforms. This will become uh, an uh, definitely a large uh, opportunity for digital media, right? So and I, know, I know that there are a lot of, you know, you guys are business school students, you guys are, are alumni students. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys are very entrepreneurial. And if somebody's taking the long-term view, right? So not, if you're not looking for opportunities right now here today, but if somebody's taking the long-term view, you know, a three, five, six year, seven year view, start becoming very comfortable with the technology around AR, VR. Uh, start running experiments, start building you know, small products around it, and you know, start building capabilities. Because I, I strongly believe that when this does happen, it's, it's going to be huge. So, uh, I guess I would be amiss um, talking about technology and not talking about, of course, AI and machine learning and what have you, right? Sure. Uh, how does that impact the marketing space, right, or technology in marketing? So if, if you, the great question, Vivek. So if you look at what's happened uh, with AI, uh, the early uh, use cases for uh, AI that actually scaled, scaled up really well came from digital media, right? So, uh, and, and this, this was uh, really uh, helped by multiple factors. Uh, Apple launching the iPhone, um, broadband became, uh, internet connections becoming cheaper and cheaper, mobile connections becoming uh, cheaper and cheaper. Uh, um, more and more uh, time being spent on, on your mobile devices, on internet devices, which led to uh, an explosion of data, right? So one of the key requirements for AI uh, is to have access to lots of data so that you can discern patterns uh, around it. And uh, so to, 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 to answer your question, AI is is kind of uh, one of the fundamental linchpins of uh, on which our business is uh, is has been built 
and uh, a lot of the in, uh, innovation that's come in AI is actually come uh, out of uh, the, the ad tech industry as well. But that AI that that uh, that um, that uh, that helped this industry grow has been a, a black box, right? So um, mm -hmm. Google, Google doesn't uh, expose uh, its its algorithms. Uh, neither does Facebook, neither does Amazon, neither does, does Apple, right? So uh, a lot of times, and especially from a media perspective, Google and, and, and Facebook, they, uh, they tend to use their data for their, uh, for their own benefit, right? At the end of the day, they want to maximize uh, their revenue. They want to maximize um, you know, how uh, consumers engage with their products and, uh, and hopefully drive more and more engagement on their platform. Right, so I think uh, historically that's been the case where AI was uh, um, kind of uh, um, um, the strong suite for these big platform companies. But what we're seeing, what we're seeing now, uh, especially in the programmatic uh, ecosystem, especially in the programmatic world, is that um, uh, AI is being uh, 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 unbundled. Right, so. Their companies and their and you guys can can and I can tell you who these guys are later. I can send you a note as well. The companies called the one is called the Trade Desk, which is a big uh, big programmatic platform. There's another company called Beeswax, which is another big uh, or emerging uh, programmatic platform out of the U.S. So what these guys are saying is that look, we'll do the job of collecting all this data for you. And we'll give you guys the flexibility to write your own algorithms and come up with your own models so that you are driving the, the most efficiencies for your business, right? So our, our uh, interests are aligned with, uh, with the advertisers and not necessarily with the owners of, of media, right? And I think that that is going to become a, a bigger and bigger trend. So um, more and more uh, agencies, advertisers are going to start building uh, on these capabilities where right now, they nest, they, even though the industry has a lot of AI, it, they were never exposed to how it how to essentially build it to work in their interest. But I think that's changing now. And there's going to be more and more uh, media buyers who are actually going to build up capabilities in that space. So Raghu, and just, um, we, we spoke a lot and we spoke about breadth in terms of uh, the industry, in terms of technology, right? And um, along the way, it's obvious that it can be very confusing at times for uh, people to navigate this, right? So uh, in, in such a scenario, I'm sure there's a lot that can go wrong, right? So would you um, give, uh, if you could leave the audience with a framework or if you could give, uh, leave the audience with things that they should keep in mind or best practices, if you will, uh, to just navigate the space, to implement technology, to get gains, what could those be, Raghu? Sure. Uh, thanks, Vivek. So um, uh, one, uh, and this this is something that that we tell all our customers as well, right? So a lot of times, customers uh, uh, and most people in general view technology as uh, some kind of a, a magic bullet, right? So they say, "Hey, I bought all this great technology, you know, it's not uh, meeting my objectives. It's not helping me meet my objectives." So uh, what we tell everybody, and what I'd like to share with this audience as well, is that technology, for the sake of technology, is really not going to help uh, drive results. So technology has to be augmented by the right people. So people that have a clear understanding of, uh, of what they want. They might not know how to get, get to where they want to, but at least they have a clear understanding of uh, what they want. And they have, they're able to come up with processes to leverage technology, right? So somebody who's able to, to take a piece of technology and say, this is what I want to do with it. 
come up with a repeatable process so that they can help the technology scale for them, right? So I think that's number one, really invest uh, in people and processes as well. Technology by itself is, is not a silver bullet, right? The second uh, uh, um, key kind of advice I'd like to give is uh, start thinking like scientists, right? So if, if you are in, in, in digital media, uh, start putting on a scientist hat, right? Start running experiments, start running really small experiments, try to understand what is working for you, what is not working for you. So if let's say you're, uh, you're, you are, um, uh, let, let's say you're uh, a furniture company, right? So start creating content uh, around, uh, you know, what you think your customers like, start putting out content out there, see if that content is attracting audiences, try to understand the tone of your content, try to understand what kind of images you're using, try to understand what kind of call to action you have, and see if, you know, if changing these is helping your content reach a wider audience, right, for example. So really put on uh, a think like a scientist, run lots of experiments, have come up with a good, um, good, uh, 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 kind of a, a thesis uh, in terms of why you think something would work, run experiments to either prove or disprove that, take learnings from that, try more experiments. And once you see something is working, really put in processes to scale that up, right? So once you find that something is working well for you, it's important that, that uh, uh, you start scaling it up and there's no better way to do that than through, uh, through digital media channels. Today, uh, you know, even in a market like India, the second largest digital uh, market in the world, we have 500 million people online. So chances are, if you're in business, your customers are online. Then if you learn how to leverage the internet and the different platforms that exist on the internet, you can create a very successful business online. I hope that helped, Vivek. can hear me i think i'll speak to you in mute yeah i can hear you now perfect uh thanks for the response sir, Raghu. what i'd like to do now Raghu, is just shift gears a bit and be mindful of time uh, we, we've gotten a lot of questions from the audience right right now and well people registered so just a fun metric almost 307 questions right okay, uh, so we probably spend some time on questions um one question and very topical of course is covid 19 uh, there were 35 questions related to just specifically COVID-19, right? And people want to know uh, in terms of what does the world look like post-COVID-19 from a marketing technology standpoint? How do you keep customers better engaged with brands? Um, do you see this as an um, accelerator for adoption of technology? Uh, what are the key trends to expect? Could you just uh, share your thoughts on that? Absolutely, man. Great question. So, uh, and I think, you know, uh, uh, I've been reading a lot about this, and one of the key, uh, a key kind of messages out of this whole thing is that COVID nineteen has really accelerated uh, digitization, right? So it's not just from uh, from a digital media perspective, but from an overall business uh, standpoint as well. So um, uh, what what uh, what uh, what the internet hasn't been able to do in the last twenty years. COVID-19 has really accelerated uh, that. So we're going to see more, uh, whether you're a, a small business or a, or a large conglomerate, now is the time for, for digitization, right? So every part of the business, whether it's 
marketing, whether it's logistics, whether it's supply chain, whether it's uh, building up e-commerce capabilities, uh, digitization has has come to the front, right? So, you know, and especially people believe that uh, this is not the end of COVID-19. So this could last with us for a year or two. They're, they're going to be, uh, they're potentially be phased opening up the parts of the economy, phase closing uh, down of parts of the economy. So once that starts happening, uh, till a vaccine or some other cure uh, come, comes through, uh, companies that don't have a digital presence are going to get hurt uh, really bad. So an, an example is uh, a fast fashion brand in the UK called Primark, right? So Primark is very similar to uh, a Zara or uh, H&M. They, they didn't have an e-commerce store. Right? So since January, the entire business has had zero sales. So uh, compare that with uh, in, in some markets where you know, e-commerce is still allowed to run. So you're still, you can still go buy clothes on Zara and, uh, and H&M if you wanted to. I'm sure they're not doing that well either. But the fact that, uh, that um, uh, Primark didn't have even an e-commerce store, uh, it uh, shows you how, how seriously, even in advanced markets, people were taking digitization. So I think uh, now uh, you know, the, people understand that there's no other uh, alternative. So there's, there's no other alternative, whether you're a small business, whether you're, you're a big business, you have to start making investments in, um, in digitization. From a media perspective, uh, it's uh, uh, in a short term, a lot of pain that's caused by COVID-19 for, uh, for, uh, for uh, digital uh, media business. So even our business is probably down 80% this month and it'll probably be down a pretty pretty uh, a large percent next month as well but when we start when and but during during our, during our conversations with customers one of the key things that we see is that they're moving their budget, budgets uh, online right they're saying look for us uh, uh, we want to start moving budgets away from tv we want to start moving budgets away for, from print for us, every single rupee that we spend has to drive performance for us. So we're going to see more and more budgets move through uh, to uh, uh, to the performance uh, end of the business, and and that's what digital is, is best at, right? So we're really going to see uh, a large migration towards uh, digital media uh, performance marketing, and not necessarily the the, the brand marketing uh, kind of things. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, so, Raghu, uh, taking specific questions that I'm getting, uh, one interesting question that um, I've gotten is from Varun Dhamija from the class of 2009, and it's a very specific question for uh, people from the background. Uh, his question is around programmatic buying and uh, strategies to reduce cost of acquisition using technology. So, could you uh, address that specific question? Sure. Uh, so, yeah. So. Um... Like uh, so, since uh, since he comes from uh, a programmatic background, I won't spend more time describing what uh, programmatic is. But uh, one thing that uh, needs to be understood is that um, a programmatic is a, a highly fragmented ecosystem. It's a, a, a very large uh, ecosystem. It's almost like the wild wild west, right? So there are a lot of good players. There are lots of fantastic players, and there are a lot of really bad players. So uh, you know. Uh, organizations that that uh, are, you know do everything from uh, creating uh, false demand for websites so that they can uh, place ads there, get get money from ads that are not being seen by by individuals, but are actually being seen by bots, etc. So there are a lot of bad actors in the system. So one of the key recommendations that I'd make 
to uh, uh, reduce cost of acquisition is to invest in um, what are called brand safety and uh, uh, verification platforms, right? So um, there are a lot of great technologies out there, including technology by Seismic, where, um, um, uh, where using this technology helps you understand where your real traffic is coming from, uh, is is your uh, ad being seen in the right markets? For example, if you're looking to sell, if you're on the uh, two wheelers, and and if you're looking to, if you're running a campaign in uh, in UP, and the and using a, a solution like a brand safety solution, you can actually see that uh, that's not genuine traffic that's coming from UP, but it's actually traffic that's coming from China. So invest in technology, in, in, invest in, in uh, verification technologies, invest in technologies that are going to keep your brand safe. Right? That would be my one key recommendation. This is something that we tell uh, all our customers. The second key recommendation is from a programmatic standpoint, a lot of uh, advertisers, a lot of agencies, a lot of trading desks have done tremendous work when it comes to optimizing media, right? So. How do you get the, uh, the most bang for your buck from a media standpoint? But one area that they haven't done a lot of optimization is on the creative front, right? Something in, in, in our, in our uh, business we call dynamic creative, where uh, um, an ad that is seen by uh, Hima is going to be very different from an ad that's seen by, um, uh, by Vivek, right? So, you know, you guys are, are sitting in different parts of, of the country. You have different interests, you're different genders. So there's no reason why if I am, uh, um, uh, if I am, for example, Maruti Suzuki, there's no reason why I should be showing uh, both Vivek and Hima the same exact uh, ad, right? So there's a lot of data out there, a lot of uh, private data, uh, uh, privacy compliant data as well that I can use to show Hima uh, a different ad and show Vivek a different ad, right? So I think uh, from uh, top of mind, these two come to come to uh, come to mind, and I think uh, fairly simple things to do. There's a lot of great technology out there. If you want to try to get more insights on this, please uh, do uh, reach out to me. I think uh, Vivek is going to share my email later on, and uh, you know, anybody has any questions about this can uh, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, actually, on that uh, very question, this is a question from the audience, and this one is from Rohit Noval. Uh, he says, given uh, that we've spoken a lot about uh, consumer privacy, right, and which is quite a large problem, uh, are startups actively solving for this problem? Uh, actively uh, solving for this problem, and if so, could you give a flavor of how? So yeah, I, so a very, very, very good question. I see a huge opportunity uh, in the space still, right? So right now um, the governments are coming up with the regulations still. So the regulations are still uh, at an early stage. They've been published. The good thing is they've finally been published. They've been in the works for almost two years. They've been published now. Uh, most uh, of the regulators have given time for, for businesses to comply with these new regulations. But there is an opportunity for, especially for somebody with an entrepreneurial mindset to understand these regulations and um, really building products that can uh, help businesses comply with these regulations, right? So whether it's uh, you know, uh, the ability to, to store uh, uh, needed data, uh, discard data that is not relevant for their businesses, create a lifecycle management system around data, right? So, uh, you know, uh, after, I think the regulation says after an X amount of months, you have to discard data. Uh, 
So how do you make sure that this data is actually being discarded? So, um, uh, 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 consumers now have the right to come and be forgotten, right? So they can go to Google and say, hey, Google, delete my entire search history from 2008, for example, and Google has to comply with it, right? So Google knows how to do it. A lot of other people don't. So if there are opportunities for entrepreneurial uh, uh, people to come and really uh, build good businesses uh, in the privacy space. Yeah, understood, Raghu. Uh, Raghu, and probably the last question, right? Um, trying to close it on time. Uh, this one's from Harjai Gambhir. Uh, he wanted a few uh, examples of, could you quote a few examples of just breakthrough innovation in the B2B marketing space that you've seen in the last couple of uh, years? <laughs> in the Nothing really uh, stands out from my perspective, guys. I'm really sorry. Nothing. I can't think of uh, anything that really stands out because I think the, the innovation is actually uh, coming up with processes, right? So a lot of times people look for, for uh, that one silver magic bullet, something that's super sexy that potentially uh, uh, anybody could do. But in, in my mind, especially in the, in the B2B marketing space, is one, create that, that, uh, that uh, product stack uh, get the right people involved, um, build good process around uh, uh, what you're trying to achieve and measure, measure, measure and start uh, fine tuning, right? So that, that would be my, my answer. And obviously from a B2B perspective, one of the things that works very, very, very well is creating uh, high quality content, right? So having a very good understanding of who your end customer is so what their uh, what their um, uh, daily life daily professional life looks like uh, what kind of challenges do they face right and uh, if you can help create if you can create content that help them address uh, this cha these challenges uh, chances are that pretty soon you'll get found right and if if uh, you are seen as an expert in the space the the whole world is your oyster another tool that i highly recommend that people kind of uh, uh, ignore is is uh, Twitter. So Twitter is a great place for uh, uh, for um, uh, for uh, you to showcase uh, your knowledge and your capabilities, right? So again, you know, uh, 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 obviously you're going to start very small, but if you're able to build up, if you're able to showcase yourself as as, as an expert, if you're uh, able to showcase that your depth of knowledge, either as an individual or as as a company, pretty soon. Uh, you can engage with with anybody in this world on Twitter. So some of the top minds are on Twitter. They're open to having conversations. And if uh, if you are seen as an expert on Twitter, chances are that if somebody is looking for somebody with a skill set that you have, they will find you on Twitter. So I strongly recommend, especially people that are looking to build up their personal profiles, even better than LinkedIn is, is, is Twitter, right? So uh, people are a lot more open on Twitter. LinkedIn is very spammy. So from a B2B perspective, I actually do recommend Twitter. Uh, uh, so, uh, I think with that, we have pretty much come to on dot to close the webinar. Um, so before uh, we close and we move towards the closing, any last, if you had to leave this audience with three thoughts, right? And if and putting you on the spot, if you crystallize three things that people had to take away from this, what would that be for the audience? Sure. Again, I think I'm, I'm going to sound uh, like I'm repeating myself, but uh, the three things are one, uh, think like a scientist, right? Think like a scientist, run uh, 
uh, uh, create a discipline where you're running experiments, where you're very honest about the experiments that you're running, measure what you're doing, right? So uh, data, there's amazing amount of data uh, out there. So uh, measure what you're doing, make sure that you're going in the direction that you want to, and uh, using data, learn and uh, improvise and uh, adjust, adjust, right? So really definitely adjust in terms of uh, uh, the experiments that you run. So that's what I'd like to leave this audience with. Okay. Uh, thanks a lot, um, Raghu, for your time. Uh, what I'd also like to uh, let the audience know is in case you'd like to um, reach out to Raghu for specific questions and uh, given just the background of the audience and the uh, quantum of audience we've had, we've not been uh, specifically been able to go into each area in detail, but uh, please uh, feel free to reach out to uh, Raghu over LinkedIn or if you like um, uh, connect via the Tech SIG group, then you could direct your questions to us as well and we'll connect you with him. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, I would also like to thank my colleague Mahima for um, helping with a lot of the communications that you guys have been seeing around this and making sure the word is spread. And of course, to the uh, ever so supportive ISB team in making sure that we had all the logistics and the right uh, people for the webinar. Uh, with that, uh, I'd like to thank everyone for the time. Raghu, thank you once again for all the time you invested in uh, spending time with the ISB, um, ISB our community. Uh, we appreciate it a lot. Thank you so much, Vivek. It's been my pleasure. And thanks everyone at ISB, Hima, Parul, Manchu, everyone really appreciate this. Sure. Uh, Himanshu, you could probably put out the first slide, which